All right. Hey, good morning, New Life Church. Uh, good to see you guys um, this morning. So thankful for your attendance and your faithfulness here at this house. And um, we are in for a treat. Uh, my pastors, Pastor Fred and Valerie Bennett, are with us this morning. I, um, uh, I, I love them so, so much. And I'm so, so thankful uh, for, for people who have gone before us. Uh, you know, in the spirit of, of Veterans Day, people who have gone before us and who are willing to not stay isolated, but to reach back and say, hey, there are still more for what God wants to do. And so I appreciate their heart uh, for, for me and Haley, our family. I appreciate their heart for this church. They serve as outside elders for this church. And uh, that means quite a few different things, but the, the most important aspect of that is relationship. And uh, I know I can always count on them and depend on them. One of the, I love them, and I love so many things about them. But one of the things that I love, I love a whole lot, is is they have over 40 years of of steadfast ministry that as they have served the Lord and uh, in, in the local church and around the world. In fact, he just flew back from Nigeria on Friday. And uh, when I found out he was going to Nigeria, and I'd ask him about today, I was like, "Are you sure you want to? You know." And he's like, oh, yeah, that was Friday. I'm good for today. So, uh, you know, <laughs> and um, but one of the, the things I love so a lot about them is their steadfastness. If you can ever get behind someone who is steadfast, you're going to go a long ways because they don't give up. They, they may face a lot of things. They may deal with a lot of things. But it's the, their steadfastness that has created a, a legacy of credibility and, a maintain, and, a, and they've been able to maintain their integrity over the lifetime of their ministry thus far. And, and, and in this day and age, not everybody does that. Uh, and so I'm so glad that we have honest people who are preaching today. I'm so glad we have authentic people who are preaching today. And I'm so glad we have a loving people who are here today because they love God. They love his people. And I'm glad they love me. And, uh, and that makes a big deal. That's a big difference. So would you please give a warm, very warm welcome to Pastors Fred and Valerie Bennett. Good morning. It's always wonderful to be here. We consider Jeremy and Haley our kids, our other kids. You know, we, we saw him grow up in the youth ministry at our church, saw him go to Bible school in our church and become a youth pastor and then later on get married and become a pastor himself. And now I look at the fruit of what's going on. But I really enjoyed the praise and worship this morning. I really felt encouraged. That seems to be the word that kept coming forth this morning with both of you sharing, you know. It's be encouraged. Be encouraged. Don't look around you. I mean, I know we look at the world. It's so toxic. Don't look at the world. Don't look at politics. Don't look at what's going on, even in your family, but just focus on Jesus and be encouraged. He's not going to leave you where you are. He's just letting you go, go through it, but you're going to get out on the other side. That's a promise in the Word of God. So bless you. It's an honor to be here this morning. Amen. And uh, honored to be here on Veterans Day. And uh, I am, in fact, a veteran. And... Uh, I'm thankful for that, actually, and uh, it was a great, great blessing to me to serve. 
And uh, I was blessed mainly by this gift God gave me while I was in the Air Force. And uh, so that is my wife. Uh, but I'm also a veteran of another army. Uh, it's called the Army of God. And uh, that is the eternal army. And uh, that is the army that changes and transforms everyone and everything to the glory of God, to the glory of God's. But I do want to pray. Father, I just thank you for those who have, who care about veterans, for those who care about those who are alone and isolated, uh, those who are injured and uh, uh, severely, severely handicapped in various ways from their wounds and, and injuries. Uh, I thank you for those, Lord, who are, have been through so much that stress is something that is a, a, just a daily companion. And we just pray that in the name of Jesus, there will be more like this precious lady who will be drawn to them in the anointing of your spirit to love them, to care for them, and to bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I read recently about uh, a veteran uh, who had died, and there was no one to come to his funeral. There was no family that they knew of or anything else. And as I recall, several hundred other veterans and other patriots turned out for the funeral, even though they didn't know the man. They came because he was a brother in arms. And you know, that's a good way for us to think about one another. Uh, the Apostle Paul and Peter both talked about soldiers of Christ when referring to their disciples. Certainly fellow workers, fellow laborers and disciples, brothers and sisters. But that other term that was frequently used by them was these are soldiers of Christ. We are a band of brothers and sisters. We, we ought to have one another's back. We ought to be there for each other in good times and bad. So, praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right, well, I'm going to use a text that I used the last time I was with you. Uh, if you've, uh, I'm going to read it. You can turn to any version you want to. If you've got your phone, you pretty well can look up anything. But I'm going to read it from the message this morning. Uh, Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30. Uh, uh, this is not the same message, okay? It's just the same text. I remember we had a guy come into our church three successive years and preach the exact same message. And I just wondered, does he think we're dense or or that we just weren't getting it and it needed to be repeated or what was going on? But in any case, uh, that's not what I'm doing, okay? So, I'm not dense and neither are you. So here it is, Matthew 11, verse 25. Abruptly, Jesus broke into prayer. And I like that in there in the message because in, in the scriptures, if you read, at this moment when Jesus begins, he's just finished a rebuke of the religious crowd who were questioning the ministry of John the Baptist as just being way too out there. Okay? They just didn't believe it. They, they, they weren't receptive to his call to repentance uh, and, to sal and to ba water baptism. And so he had just rebuked them for their, for their unbelief. And then he just starts praying. 
He doesn't say, let us pray. <laughs> he just started praying. And this is what he said. Jesus broke into prayer. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your way from sophisticates and know-it-alls, but spelled them out clearly to ordinary people. Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work. Then Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. So here he is. He's rebuking a religious crowd. He's praying to his Father, and then he starts talking to the people seamlessly. It's all one thing here, okay? Even the numbers of the verses weren't there, okay, in the original <laughs> incident here. So uh, Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation coming out of father-son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does nor the Father the way the Son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Anyone willing to listen this morning? I got three yes and two hands. Okay. <laughs> to anyone who is willing to listen. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Now, that sounds a little funny to me because when I first hear him say, and I'll show you how to take a rest, I'm thinking about a trip to the beach. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, something, let's just sit down and chill for a while and relax and, you know, get away from everything. But that's not Jesus' idea of it. Being in his rest is something different from what we have in most of our minds. He says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I really believe Peterson's translation here, or paraphrase, is anointed by the Holy Spirit. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. You know, the last time I was here, I shared with you, everything in God's creation has a rhythm. We have a rhythm. Your heart has a rhythm. If you don't think so, let something happen to it. You'll notice you have a rhythm. They call it arrhythmia. <laughs> It's a real problem. It, it, it's, it's a destroyer of health. Our, our, our breathing has a ribbon, rhythm. Most of us never think about the fact that we're breathing. You know, I need to take another breath now. We don't think about that. But, but talk to someone who has that, what do they call that? Uh, COPD. That's right. Uh, there, there was a commercial about, of course, some drug for it. But uh, it, where it, it, it was saying that for people with this, it's like an elephant sits on their chest. They struggle. They have to fight. They're desperate for every breath. So this is unforced rhythms of grace. It's the rhythms of life. I, I mean, our breathing, our digestion, our sleep has a rhythm. 
or, or lack thereof, and that troubles us as well. Uh, walking by the seaside has a rhythm, doesn't it? Have you ever walked by the, on the beach? Walked by as the waves come in and the waves, you, you can almost feel the stress just run right back out to sea. It is an amazing, amazing way to relax. So learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Grace has a rhythm. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So how do we enter his rest? Well, it's not by necessarily going to sleep. We walk with him, we work with him, and we watch how he does it so we can learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus promises, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. How, how does it say it in, in the scripture? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that how it's worded? So you can see the paraphrase that's here. It's supposed to be light. This is supposed to be easy. If your life in the Lord is leaving you exhausted and weary and tired and frustrated or condemned, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. That's not what is, was intended. This is not some cruel yoke, something that you have to fight to get through every day. It's supposed to be unforced rhythms of grace. It's not like a yoke that chokes the life out of you. The imagery of a yoke was the idea that when two beings are yoked together, they're really close. Val and I are yoked. We're not choking each other to death. Praise God, honey, after 52 years. But we're not choking each other to death. No, but we're, we're close. That's what God's saying. I want to be close with you. I don't want you to feel like I'm far away and you're down here where the rubber hits the road, where life is tough, and you've just got to grit it out the best way that you possibly can. He's trying to say to us, he's with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Whatever we're going through, he goes through with us. Uh, you, you even mentioned it, or somebody did. I don't know. I was listening to several people this morning. But even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, Lord are with me. Oh, what, what comforting words those are. It's wonderful to read them, but do we really, really live it? Do we walk it out? We know the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus' name, don't we? This, this is not a bait and switch going on here. He baits us to come into uh, this relationship with him, and then he switches what he said he was going to do. He is true. He cannot lie. He keeps his promises. This is the difference between religion and rest. Rest is a living 
relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion wants to force a heavy lot, a lot of heavy old stuff on you. A relationship with Jesus is not just about coming to church services, although I personally commend them. I recommend that you come and that you bring others with you when you come, all right? But it's not just that. Our relationship with Jesus is moment to moment, day to day, year to God is faithful, folks. He's here with us. He's walking this walk with us, and we're to be following His lead. He enables us to live freely and lightly. It's like Jesus' relationship with His Father that I mentioned a while ago. He'd be talking to His Father uh, to people, and in the next breath, he'd be talking to his father. It reminds me of how in Nehemiah, you familiar with Nehemiah chapter 1 and chapter 2? Uh, Nehemiah, his relationship with God and also with an authority figure in his life who was an ancient king by the name of Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. Uh, Nehemiah had received a report of all the distress that was in Jerusalem. Uh, you remember the story, the walls had been torn down, the gates had been burned, there were wild animals in the streets, there were robbers and terrorists that would raid the countryside, and the people were just in terrible, terrible distress, a lot like the place I just came from. Very, very similar. It's what made me really think about this. And so what Nehemiah did was he fasted and he prayed. Now, Nehemiah's role in life at this time, he was in exile, okay? He was in the royal court. Does anybody remember what function he had there? What did Nehemiah do? <laughs> he was a cupbearer to Artaxerxes, the most powerful king on the face of the earth, at that time okay he was a cupbearer anybody remember what a cupbearer did he wasn't just a waiter okay no he would take the cup pour the wine in it and then he had to taste it you know why he had to taste it it wasn't to see what bouquet or any, anything that it had he had to taste it because in those days, if you wanted to get rid of the king or whomever, you poison the wine. So he was the buffer between the king and the poison, okay? He would take the hit for it, if you will. So he was cupbearer to the king. It was a very, very important position, a highly trusted position. And so uh, he comes before the king, and the king looks at him, and says, what's wrong with you? Why is your face sad? His countenance was sad. I go into a lot of churches where I see a lot of sad countenances. And I wonder what's wrong with them too. It worries me. It should worry us. Why is that? But it does tell us something about Nehemiah. Even though he was an exile. Even though he was in a, a pagan culture, even though he was serving a foreign king, he was 
Not much different from a slave, if you will. Maybe a privileged one, but yet a slave. And yet he had never come into this king's presence with sadness on his face. That might say something to us about our work environment. I wonder how many days we go in there with a sad face rather than the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that shines on the face of Christ that also is supposed to be shining on our countenance. You know, I, I found that Nigerians in the church at, of Nigeria, they're, they're, they're very joyful people. They're very receptive. You smile at them. You talk to them. You show any interest in them at all, and immediately they engage you, whether they know who you are or not. They're just that way in the Lord. That's how Nehemiah was. He served with a joyful heart. So Artaxerxes is concerned. I mean, when your cupbearer has a sad face, it does kind of put a question in your mind. Oh, does he know something I don't know? I need to find out what's going on here. And when he asks him, what, what, what's wrong? Nehemiah tells him about the distress in Jerusalem, which is where he had come from. I, I don't think Artaxerxes gave, gave a rip about Jerusalem actually obviously not it was in in ruins uh it had been destroyed and and he tells him about that and the king then says to nehemiah what is your request and nehemiah here's what it says in nehemiah chapter 2 it says the king asked him what is your request the next ver verse says so i prayed to the lord he didn't answer him immediately. He prayed. It was seamless again. Just like in, in Matthew 11 here, where we see Jesus talking to the people and then to the Lord. He, he asked the Lord first and then said, send me to my city that I may rebuild it. Give me permission letters for the governors of the regions so they won't try to fight against me. Give me access to the king's forest for resources to build. And Artaxerxes gave it all to him. He had favor in the presence of a pagan king. That's how you get favor with men. You have favor with God. You ask God first. You let God be first in all things. You let him be the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And he asked God first. And then in addition, he didn't even ask for this, the king sent a security force to keep Nehemiah safe. When we first ask God what we are to do and where we are to go, he will give us favor with men. I want you to get that, so I'll say it again. When we first ask God, First, ask God mm, what we are to ask for, what we are to do, and where we are to go. He will give us favor with men. God is doing it for us. For years, we lived in the suburbs of Memphis. And then God said, 
moved to the heart of the city of Memphis. Now, my natural mind, you know, wanted to kick in there, and I'm like, you know, that wasn't really my plan. I was thinking about moving maybe further out than the suburbs, maybe North Mississippi or someplace else, you know. Let's get out on a lake where we'll be alone and all the rest of it. But that's not what God did. That's not the door that he opened for us. And what he's been doing now, what it's been a couple of years now, what he's been doing over these last two years is showing us what to do and giving us favor. That's the kind of relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father if we'll avail ourselves of it. You know what's wrong with most of our prayers? We're asking for God to bless something after the fact. We've already made up our mind. We've already decided what we're going to do, where we're going to go, and how we're going to do it. And oh, by the way, God, if you want in on this, you're welcome. We'd like to have you on board with our project here. That's all backwards. That's all backwards. We need to rethink that. We, we sang something this morning. What was it about? We, we, we need a move. You know, you can hear that. You can hear that two ways. Lord, we need you to move on our behalf. Or maybe we need to make a move. But the move is always going to be toward the Lord. To draw near to Him. To spend time with Him. To enter into His rest. To get out of all the sickness of hurry that has afflicted our culture. I believe John Maxwell calls it the tyranny of hurry. We're so hurried, we're so rushed, we're so pressured, our agenda is so full, our calendar overflows that we can't work God into anything. God will have no other gods before him, including your, our agenda, including our scheduling, including all the things that we're busy about. He wants us to spend quality time with him and he will do it how do we grow in this relationship with Jesus how do we revitalize our own spiritual life well three things that he mentioned we walk with him we work with him and we watch how he does it that's how we learn the unforced rhythms of God's grace when I first brought you a message from this text, I was emphasizing personal transformation. Today, I'm more focused on the transformation of the church. Prior to Jesus' ascension into heaven, the disciples had a first century embodiment of Jesus to walk with, to work with, and to watch to see how he did things. Today, we have that, but we also have a 20, at least we have the record of that, we have a 21st century body to walk with, to work with, and to watch. You know, the body of Christ today looks quite a bit different from the body of Christ of the first century. It's a whole different game right now. It's a totally different culture in which we live. It's as different as the culture that Nehemiah grew up 
in and then was sent into exile to. It is dramatically different. The church has grown. The church has expanded. The church has changed because it's been transformed. Today, we have a new look. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom or liberty. And we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being, say being, transformed. That means it's ongoing. Are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's 2 Corinthians 3.17. You see, friends, today we can watch the best Jesus that we can see in others who are walking and working in the unforced rhythms of grace. But how do, how do we know who they are? Well, it will be in individuals that we meet along the journey of our lives. Over the course of our lives, we've met a lot of people. Had a dear brother that came up to me at a, a meeting last night, introduced himself and was thanking me for, for what our church had done for his church back I don't even know when and and I, it was all news to me I mean I, I really didn't even remember I just met somebody I don't know about you but you get older the files get full you know and, and you just can't add a whole lot more information to anything anymore but you know I was thrilled to hear his testimony people in whom we get a fresh glimpse of the glory of God you know, I'll be 72 this week. This is my birthday week. But I don't feel 72. I don't feel in my spirit that much different from the day I was born again. And that was a long time ago. That was a long time. We've been on this journey for almost 50 years. Now, marriage 52, but almost 50 years as far as walking with the Lord working with him and watching how he does it. And the Lord has brought across our path some remarkable people through that period of time. Just those kinds of people that could make being spiritual seem so real. It, it, it wasn't fake. It wasn't forced. It wasn't weird. It just seemed like you know, it made you want to say, oh, so that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Oh, that's what it looks like to walk with Jesus. It's not like I'm, I'm just grinding it out. I'm, and, and there's Jesus is walking along behind me, snapping this whip to keep me moving forward or keep me productive or one thing and another. Just the, the sheer freedom of God's grace is amazing. Today, I feel the same love, the same zeal, and the same awe that I did when Val and I started this journey together. In our prayer time, we often remember these people who've made an impact on our Christian life. And we think about what is the impact. It's how we could see 
a glimpse of God's glory, God's presence, these unforced rhythms of grace in their life. They make it look so easy. It's like, wow, look at that. I I don't have to earn it. I sure can't buy it. You know, I, I, I don't have to force it. But rather, it's just freedom in the grace of God. It's what Jesus looks like. I've shared with you before about our pastor who came to our Methodist church and got up and started to minister the word and to pray and just be so different from any other Methodist. And I don't mean to pick on the Methodist, but forgive me. But from any other denominational pastor that we'd ever seen. I mean, my image of them, they were in long black robes. Uh, uh, they wore tiny little spectacles because they couldn't see. And... Uh, you know, they were very intellectual and, and, and seemingly, to me at least, cold. I, I never knew one that had a sense of humor. And, and I thought, well, I must not be saved. I love humor. But, but you know, they, they just couldn't see. And then along comes a guy named Everett Roseberry who loved to laugh, who loved to tell stories, who, who made walking with Jesus actually look like this could be fun. This could be a, this could be a hit, man. I, I could really get into this kind of thing and introduced us to so much what it meant to be born again. Val and I both, as children, grown up, and she grew up Catholic. I I grew up Methodist in the church. You know, when people asked me if I was saved, I thought they were asking me if I was a Baptist, because you know we live in a Baptist sea. But but uh, uh, you know, and I'd say, no, I'm not saved. I'm a Methodist. <laughs> not realizing how true that actually was but nevertheless I was putting my faith into the in the wrong thing altogether this man was so real even in his shortfalls he made God seem real because he didn't try to hide it he wasn't always posturing and using a lot of titles you know letters behind his name or anything or boasting about his great feats and acts and signs and wonders and all of this kind of stuff. He was just a normal guy who loved Jesus with all of his heart. And as imperfect as he did that, as we all do that, I do, you do, as imperfectly as we may do that, it just so resonated with my heart. Oh, this is the authentic, real relationship that we can have with Jesus Christ. Because frankly, I just really didn't want a whole lot to do with religion. People are asking my generation today, isn't it time for you to get out of the way? <laughs> well, yes and no. <laughs> no, I do not believe there is any retirement from God's call and claim on our lives I don't find that anywhere I don't find that being the rest that he's calling us to to uh, enter into he's calling us into a rest of relationship where we don't have to strive where just like you were saying you didn't want to get up here and whip them up into a frenzy or, or whatever else or go overboard with it we don't have to do that the supernatural becomes natural in its expression through our lives so no it's not that it's no longer Paul said I who live but Christ who lives in me 
in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me. How many of you have a love relationship with Jesus? Do you know that he loved you first? Do you know that he loved you even before you came to him? When you were lost as a goat, he loved you then. <laughs> who loved me and gave himself for me. Now this is what I find is a real mark of people who are walking in the unforced rhythms of God's grace. They freely give themselves away. It's never an issue of, well, what's this going to cost? It, it, it's never an issue of, you know, well, if I give to you, are you going to give to me? And, you know, what, what are you going to do to reciprocate? It's never that way. They just give themselves away. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should what? Not perish, but have everlasting life, praise God. God gives himself freely away to us in Jesus Christ. We're to give ourselves away. That's really, I think, a big, big part of what it means to be an authentic, devoted follower of Jesus Christ. The choice is not retirement. The choice is transformation. The choice for the church today is not to shelter in place and wait for the end to come, but to say again, here I am Lord, send me. I don't know how many times I've said that in my life. Quite a few. Quite a few. I believe every church must come to times when they are so desperate to be in the middle of what God's doing, not out on the periphery somewhere, not engaged in other activities, just so desperate for the presence of God that they cry out, Oh, Lord, like Isaiah, here I am, Lord. Send me. Send us. Use us, O oh Lord. Because, friends, New Life Church is not really about you. I mean, you are New Life Church. You are in Christ. You are living in the rhythms of God's grace to one degree or another. But it's about more than that. It's about the ones that aren't here. It's about the ones that you've never seen. It's about the, the harvest field that perhaps you've not even identified yet. It's about them. That's why we're, we're ambassadors for Christ. And he's given us a ministry. What's the ministry? Reconciliation. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses against them, against us. And has given to us the word of reconciliation. Because you see, most people don't know it. Or they have forgotten it. Or they rejected the idea of it. That's why as ambassadors, we've got a message. We have a message. That's why when Nehemiah stood before Artaxerxes, he asked for some letters. I need some messages 
that I can give to the people I'm going to run into along the way. And then I'll have favor with them. That's how God works in his kingdom. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me into a, a different role. Send me into a, a different form of church life. This year, my 72nd, I'm being transformed. Rest is a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion wants to force a heavy lot, a lot of heavy old stuff on you. A relationship with Jesus is not just about coming to church services, although I personally commend them. I recommend that you come and that you bring others with you when you come, all right? But it's not just that. Our relationship, that's how we're transformed anyway, isn't it? By the renewing of our minds. You keep renewing your minds. Friends, our world is changing so fast. My goodness, back when I started preaching, we didn't have these things. Never saw one of these. We didn't have these cell phones that apparently we are tethered to somehow. Can't lay down even when we're out here on the interstate somewhere. It's incredible. All these things are new things. Our world is moving at an ever faster pace. But that's the problem. You see, that's the rhythm of the world. What we're focused on is the rhythms of God's grace. How in this hurried 24-7 culture, 24-hour news cycle, how do we stay in the rhythms of God's grace and not become hysterical like the world? Frankly, I've mostly turned off the news. I'm, I'm just, I'm like, wow, it's like everybody's lost their minds. I'm just like, no, I'd rather stay sane. I'd rather have my mind set on the things above and not on the things below. I'd rather have my mind, I'd rather have my mind set on Christ. That's what it, mean, it means to have the, the mind of Christ. So in this last year, I've been transformed into a church consultant, a marriage facilitator, and a community consultant. Because there are always new ways new roles that we can take on in order to advance the kingdom of God. If we keep thinking we've got to go back and do it like they did out in California, William Seymour, it's escaping my name right now, what street? Azusa, thank you. I started to say Agape Street. I thought, that's not right. I'm old. But yeah, Azusa Street. No, no, that, that was wonderful. That was phenomenal. That was then. This is new now. This is new now. We need to be renewed now. That's what this is really about. Never stop learning to walk in the unforced rhythms of God's grace. And one of the most important things you can do is embrace transformation because the Holy Spirit never stops working transformation in our personal lives and in your corporate life as a congregation you might have thought oh well we've arrived this is who we are no you haven't arrived 
you're just on the journey. This was just a station stop along the way. Okay, the journey goes on. The people who stay in the rhythm of God keep moving forward. Keep moving forward to the glory of Jesus' name. Today we can also learn the unforced rhythms of God's grace that we see in new wineskins of the church. If we have an eye to see, we can find transformation in new expressions of God's eternal transgenerational church. For the glory of the latter house shall be the same glory of the former house? No. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former. How many of you believe that? I believe that. I hope you believe that as a congregation. I mean, if you don't believe that, you're in trouble. You really are. You're going to struggle. We need to get hold of that. I had to learn this way back at Piperton United Methodist Church, the first church Valerie and I were sent to over 40 years ago. You can't put new wine in old wineskins. The old wineskin is not just Judaism. It is anything that's old. <laughs> that's old. With the passing of time, all forms become dated, inflexible, and dry. Hence the imagery of a dry, brittle wineskin, and you pour in the new wine. Why was he talking about new wine? Because it's still fermenting. It's, and I didn't mean to insult anybody with that word, but <laughs> I, I, it really wasn't grape juice, okay? But anyway... So it was still still fermenting. There was, there was a, a spiritual, he's talking about this spiritual reaction. It's still going on in our lives. I mean, it's amazing. The, the, the new wine is potent forced up, folks. It really, really is. With the passing of time, all forms become dated, inflexible, and dry. The new wine of the gospel is so potent that wineskins have to periodically be renewed. I found over all the years that I pastored <laughs> that, uh, you know, you think you finally got it right, and then you realize, oh, we're an old wineskin now. It's time to change. It's time to be transformed because we want to remain keepers of the new wine and not the old. We're constantly having to relearn this. I had to. I had to with Christ the Rock Church. Man, in our day, we were it. But there came a day when not so much. And we had to be transformed into Renewal Church, which is now pastored by my son. You see, in our personal lives and in the life of the church, it's be transformed or die on the vine. That's why Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your 
spiritual worship. Spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what? What is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? For right now, that's what's important. Not 10 years ago, not 50 years, not 100 years ago. For right now, I want to know what, what is God doing. I can be an historian and figure out what he did. I want to know what God's doing right now. I've uh, just returned from a trip, as uh, Pastor Jeremy said, to Lagos, Nigeria on Friday. We found a city of 12 million people in just about complete distress. I was just moved with compassion for the teeming masses of people just struggling to survive another day. Every day is a fight for a meal, not three meals a day and 44 snacks or no, 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 a meal. That's what it's like. Heat, chaos, people just everywhere pressing against each other, so desperate that violence can erupt at any time over the smallest instant. I saw a Nigerian nation divided between the Muslim North and a Christian South. We had security guards assigned to us. Uh, riot policemen with machine guns. I've been traveling around the world for 30 years. I've never had that happen before. I thought, wow, this is, this is going to be interesting. And it was, but God is good. The most hopeful thing we witnessed was thousands of churches in this city of 12 million people. They were lively. They were filled with people of faith. They were filled with people who were desperate for God and also for those who were looking for a future and the hope. And it made me think about our cities. What's happened to our cities? They're in distress. Memphis, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, they're in distress. How did, how did we get here? Friends, I close with this. There is a great work to be done. There is a harvest to be reached. There is a generation to be reached. There is a gospel to be preached. I ask you this morning, is there anything impossible with God? No. We just have to keep reminding ourselves. Our citizenship is where? In heaven. Where we eagerly await for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to conform with his glorious body by the working of power with which he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Embrace transformation. Be desperate for God's presence. Say, Lord, hear him. Would you stand with me? Say this with me. Lord, 
Here am I. Send me. Send us. Lift up our eyes to see the fields that are ripe unto harvest. Oh, Lord, I thank you for a people who I believe recognize they're not just here for themselves. We're here for a purpose. We're here for the greatest enterprise that ever hit planet Earth. We're here, Lord, for your will to be done, for your kingdom to come on this earth as it is in heaven. Oh, God, I pray that our hearts would be broken before you. I pray we change our posture. I pray that we would humble ourselves under your mighty hand. I pray that we would change our countenance, that we would remove sadness from our faces. I pray, Lord God, that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that shone on the face of Christ would shine on us. I pray, Lord, that when people overhear our conversation, they'll hear the glory of God. I pray, Lord, that when they see how we're walking and working with you, that they'll copy that. That they'll say, oh, that's what it's supposed to be like. The unforced rhythms of God's grace. Anybody really hungry for that? Come on. Anybody really hungry? Anybody? Come here. Come here. Make a move. Make a move. Just make a move. Make a move. Thank you, Jesus. Make a move. Now, again, I, I'm not here to manipulate you either. This is you and God. I assume these steps are kind of like an altar here. <laughs> Whether you kneel down or you stand here in the presence of God, just ask God before you take another step, Lord, what would you have me to do? Where would you have me to go? Here I am, Lord. Send me.
with your Holy Spirit that we cannot be passive that we cannot just stand in place and surely that we cannot drift away create in us a clean heart oh God renew a steadfast spirit in us restore unto us the joy of your salvation uphold us by your generous spirit and we will teach transgressors your way and sinners will be saved.